0: Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay and Brad. Wait, wait, I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an Uh, act. All right. Welcome, welcome. I mean, hi. Yes, I'm here. Do you,
1: you realize
0: doing? that this episode we've gone through all 12 steps. We have 12 weeks of this what? podcast, so we're coming to an end. So
1: it's a full cycle. This is like a rebirth. I um, guess so. I like um, it. And we're going. That's 12 weeks.
0: One fast. This is yes. Well,
2: Sometimes
1: it was how long
0: ago it felt when we were sitting in the hot tub in Yuma, Arizona, yeah. and I not alone. This. By the way, there was many people. Yeah, there, there was just. Yeah, just yeah, just I want to clarify that. Not that there's anything
1: wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with
0: that. But I'm just saying we, we were definitely. with a bunch of people on a hunting trip. Hunting trip,
1: uh, and so when we that felt like. a Sorry, long time all the ago. vegan listeners. Um. Yeah, we were we were in a dove hunt trip out in uh in Arizona, and uh, Brad approached me. I think I've already shared this, but we'll talk about it a little bit since it's the 12 week anniversary and. He hit me up. He's like, "Hey man, I got a, I got this idea." I was like, "You know how many people were reaching with ARP and stuff and talking about it in our community and stuff? What if we did a podcast?" In fact, and I that's a that's how I took it. Like, what if we did? But really, I had forgot to you know to, to realize that Brad, whenever he has an idea, he's already fully researched it and already is planning on doing it. So much so that weeks after you know this hunting trip. He was like flat out. He's kind of like, all right, let's record. I got everything all set up. I got this record. And I'm thinking, first of all, the whole time, like, yeah, that's awesome. But who wants to listen to us? Like, yeah, we got a core group of friends maybe that will listen to us or people from our meetings. And I'm like, no, I'm thinking to myself. I'm like, and I have an ego. Don't get me wrong. But I was thinking, like, who wants to listen to us talk? And uh, sure enough, so I had neglected meeting with Brad after the meeting. And I always made up all these excuses. And some of them are legit. And he's finally I'm like, I,
0: I'm glad you're coming clean on this. Yeah.
1: Sorry. It's, it's, that's what I do in the program. Come clean. So I uh <clears throat> I was like uh i I had bailed again and Brad's like, all right, flat out. All right, I'm doing this podcast with or without you. So let me know if you want to be a part of this. He's like, otherwise I'm gonna ask X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I had another Whoa, per- I had a br- backup person. He already ready. had a backup, man. He was already ready to just X me before we even get started. So I'm glad I didn't get X. I'm grateful because when he showed me some of these stats be honest it's crazy
0: well, let's talk about we uh, talk so we're gonna do a little bit not that
1: we're that big but or anything but it's just pretty amazing that 12 weeks ago this was an idea you know a little over 12 weeks ago was an idea
0: so uh we have uh, we are renaming if you look at the naming of it this is episode 2.1 2.1, so 2.1. our second round we're on step one so we're just going to keep cycling through the steps yep but as yeah, well as
1: talking about and interviewing new people each week. So don't, you're not going to get the same thing.
0: And today we're not going to do Ask the Addict, except with you. Yep. Because we're just going to kind of do an anniversary show. Yeah. Celebrate that. But yeah, we've had... Uh, get more in statistics depth. Statistics are a little rough, uh, but we've had at least fifteen over 1,500 uh, people lis- or listeners to our episodes. Yeah.
1: So I'm probably more. We don't, we don't know exactly.
0: We've had uh, 48 countries. 48 countries. That's I don't even crazy. know how many countries there are, but it
1: seems know, like a lot of countries that would have That's almost as have many of in their states. That's
0: pretty amazing. Uh, I can't count all the top cities, but uh, we've got quite a few cities, and we can see a steady increase in listenership. Yeah, so we appreciate it. Thank and, you guys so and much. And listeners, you know, this is an LDS-focused news, but we have a lot of non-members of the church that, yeah. that listen and have commented and send us direct messages.
1: Yeah, totally. We're grateful for and you guys. And we, following us on Instagram and Facebook.
0: So we, we try to make it uh, just a real recovery base, but our, our cult, you know, what we're experiences with within the Mormon or LDS church, and so we do definitely bring that into the aspect. But I think it's a great way to introduce people to the church, totally. to the gospel. And,
1: and recovery is recovery, no period. matter what religion you period. have.
0: So for news, I do want to talk about it because uh, one of our church leaders, Elder Oaks, Brad loves his news. Hey, did you read this one I sent you? Nope. Okay, shocker. Nope, I've got to keep it consistent. Got to keep it consistent. In Tempe, Arizona, he gave a uh, forum with uh, with the Corps of the Twelve Apostles and another saw church. I this on Instagram. Eleven hundred people, and uh, he really focused on and encouraging members of the church to uh, defend religious freedom. Ooh. And to me, this was this is one of those where they are on. You know, they're the lighthouse looking out and, and, and foreseeing it. And this is for—and, you know, recovery and the 12 steps are about a higher power and about God yeah. and, about, and about religion. And, and uh, the, this apostle said, quote, There are many political, legal, and social pressures for changes that de-emphasize the importance or change the definition of marriage, confuse gender, or homogenize the difference between men and women that are essential to accomplish God's great plan. Our eternal perspective sets us against such changes, and they talked about how there are also many members of other churches that were there. Um, The um, he said, and now I'm going to quote Brigham or Joseph Smith, uh, one of the founder of the church, that said, "It is a love of liberty which inspires my soul, civil and religious liberty to the whole of the human race." And let's see where's this other quote. Um, over here Joseph Smith said that he was just as willing to die to defend the right of the Presbyterian a Baptist or a good person of any denomination because he realized that the same principles that would trample upon the rights of those other faiths would be used to trample on the rights of our church members
1: Pretty powerful stuff I love and, it
0: and so as a faith community we do need to I think defend our religious freedom pretty
1: crazy how uh with social media and obviously with things and current events it's Very easy to get watered down. It's very easy to just kind of go, well, you know, I love that person, and of course, you love the people that are are following differently than the church and during different than the commandments, and maybe they were once members and now they're not. But it it is, uh, it's definitely uh, a reminder to to stand up because if we don't stand up, and uh, as a collective body of not just our church but uh, all the other churches combined, you know, we obviously know that there is an attack on just religion in general. It's not necessarily just our church. This attack on religion in this country and trying to remove faith and God from from everything, which I do believe it should be separated from certain things, but just so that way we can all live to, cohesively. As I a
0: co- think I think the founding fathers said separate the church, the organization of a yeah, church, exactly. but not faith and God. Yeah. They were you read those founding fathers. No, didn't?
1: and that's what I'm talking about, like with church, because there's no way you could coexist. We have so many different sects of the church yeah. or churches of Christianity and so, Catholic, you know. So I I think it should all be separated uh, from state when it comes to that point. But but taking it out of like just like you know they want it's like it's every time I turn on news it's like they want it out of everything like
0: crazy. uh, To me, that's just a a warning shot, a warning that hey, we need to be vigilant about this, and and we need to
1: do it the right way. Obviously, like tacky way, it's very easy to to get in arguments, and I I fall guilty of this on Facebook or Instagram sometimes. But it's uh, it's important to uh, to just make sure you're showing love.
0: Well, um, there's actually a website religiousfreedom.lds.org, and it gives you ten ways to protect our religious freedom. So if you want to go there and and look at those things, um, and we'll post the article in the show notes. Uh, and there's quotes from other religious leaders uh, reaffirming the exact same thing. So this has been a theme for the last couple of years. Cool. To me, you know, that's something our my children are definitely going to deal with. Is Oh, is this war, this war on religion. Yeah, totally. what is this piece of paper that you handed this me? This was brought to
1: me by a colleague of mine. No, it was brought to me by my most famous advisor. Who's that? My mother. But uh, my Brad. my mom is obviously listening to the podcast hey, because. Um, hi, Sherry. Hi, mom. So she uh, she was uh, she she listens obviously because <laughs> she handed it to me today before I left to the meeting uh, and said, "Hey, give this to Brad." I'm like, "Well, what is it?" Like, she's like, "Well, you're, just give it to him. I know you're not going to read it." <laughs> I'm like, oh man, you're and you listening. didn't read it. I didn't read it. I just put it in my pocket. And I said, all
0: right, and I gave it to Brad, so I have no idea what it is. There <laughs> you are, awesome. You even highlighted it for him. She's good. So let me for underline. You. This is the the headline. Um, I don't even know what paper this is in. By I the can OC tell, Redisher. probably O.C. Register,
2: Costco OCD.
0: to pay 11.7 million in a pharmacy probe. The Department of Justice said prescriptions for controlled substances were improperly filled. 11.7 million dollars, Costco. Said the this is the highlighted part. Western District of Washington in a statement, a company such as Costco that distributes a significant volume of controlled substances has a responsibility to ensure it complies with regulations that help prevent opioids, opioids, and other dangerous drugs from being misused or otherwise added to illegal marketplace. I many times at Costco. Oh yeah. Do they give you more in a prescription at Costco than a normal? Like yeah, I know. Like I you wish buy you a fifty could, pound thing could, of mayonnaise. I wish
1: you could buy in bulk. Uh, no, at least I used to wish I could buy a Bolt no um, definitely not definitely not okay. but uh, just
0: cheaper than Costco right
1: yeah Costco and Walmart
0: but I'm not making notes for anyone.
1: anyways so
0: um, so the Sherry thank you Uh, obviously a problem and it's interesting on that oh, yeah, I was listening here's some more
1: news I was yeah. listening to a podcast today <clears throat> another podcast and uh, they were talking about brain health and just stability and, and diet and all this stuff but the lady that was on there she was talking about that you know over eleven percent of America is on an antidepressant? Eleven percent—that's
0: over thirty million people. I thought it was higher than that.
1: That uh, was prescribed in two thousand and fifteen. Okay. So over eleven percent has been uh, is like consistently being prescribed. So that's not including all the new people are being prescribed right, today. Right, right. Uh, that's over. Uh, think about that. Over in 10. thirty. Yeah, one in ten. Over thirty million people running around on some form of antidepressant, which none of it is, none of them have been 100% clinically proven. Hmm. Some of them was a lot of testing, not to say that they're not all wrong or anything. I just thought that was interesting, and I just think about how their situation, and so then they got into talking about situational depression versus uh, clinical depression and the difference between those and what it could be like, and I I know we all focus from situational depression such as a breakup, loss of job, loss of, you know, death in the family, or things like that or a traumatic thing that happens, but um it's just interesting they were talking about all the different health things you can do that are like almost they're, well they're they're proven to to help in brain function. There's just so much knowledge out there. I love podcasts, I love the internet. I love the fact that we can hey, you want to better your life? You don't have to go and get a a 10-year degree to to learn the supplements that are going that could help you or to learn about how to get over things. I mean, I'm sure if you were if you're one of our listeners, you probably just typed in Twelve steps, you know, twelve steps, or something to do with AA and you and LDS, and this is what you got, and that's what that's what I do when I when I want to learn something. I love it.
0: So we'll close with we'll close this episode with your share. Okay. And um, but what I want to, you know, there's a reason why we just don't stop after twelve steps. Why? And you talked a little bit about it today in tonight's meeting that, you know, our podcast we did twelve steps, so it should just be done, and then people just recycle through these. But why? Do you and why should others continue to go through meetings? And I, I remember asking you that because my experience before really learning about it was movies where someone would just be like, I got to get to a meeting. You know, some situation would happen in their life and they like book. I got to go find a meeting right away. Yeah. And and to see people go back to meetings week after week is probably new. It was new to me before I understood the 12 steps. But why is it important to what have you learned? By going through the steps multiple times.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think <clears throat> I was I was I was sharing uh, just recently. It's it's pretty. I mean, it's so obviously it's it's divinely inspired. The twelve steps. I mean, I honestly one hundred percent believe that Bill Wilson, the founder of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and the twelve steps, who wrote them, actually uh, was a hundred percent led by Heavenly Father and the and the Spirit because they're so defined are d- divine in in their way that they allow the addict to free themselves from their initial chaos right step 1 is admitting your life's unmanageable and you're living in chaos and then going through the 12 steps it 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 just sets you on the path but then it, it's so divine because if it doesn't just leave you there there's no destination that you're trying to arrive to could see in destinations that we um we seem to miss the mark a lot of times and you're trying to get there but this is more like it's, I heard tonight it was humility' the vehicle to get you know uh, from point A to point B or, or whatever thing you're trying to accomplish in life. And I think the 12 steps are the uh, emancipate they emancipate you from your disease originally. but then the maintenance steps, 10, 11 and 12 allow you to use prayer um, to, 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 to set plans and to make sure you have the spirit with you and make sure you're not living in pride and ego. And then um, also with step 10 and the daily inventory, oh my gosh daily inventory like if you take a daily inventory you won't have to take a fourth step inventory which is an inventory of your entire life Mm -hmm. right so there's and then the 12th one you go out and do what bill wilson did his first couple years in sobriety was go out and just try to walk into a bar and you just try to bring people to to his group that he was going to and he stayed sober and that's kind of how my first year went i didn't have all the steps um i hadn't done all the steps yet but i was out there trying to help people and it kept me sober but it only took me so far Doing the steps myself then took me to another level, and but then doing the tenth and eleventh and twelfth step over the last four years um, has has allowed me to get through uh, the curveballs that keep coming in my life because they're never going to stop. Life's always going to show up. We learn that from the apostles. We learn that from our own life experience. I mean, how many of us have have just accomplished something and then go, "Oh, that's it. I don't got You know, nothing else comes our way." Every every other year, it's something new, and um, I'm just so grateful because. I wouldn't if I just had the steps that freed me from my initial thing. I originally came to the steps because of my opioid addiction, right? My pill addiction, and my wife had left me. I thought that was it, but then I realized, like, man, if if they only worked up into a certain, like, say there was only a certain amount of steps, there was no ten, eleventh, and twelfth. That would have freed me from my opioid addiction, you but
0: been, you would have been able to
1: stop. I would have been able to stop, and I would have got healthy, and it would have changed my life for a period of time. But I wouldn't. I would have just found another addiction. I would have just found something else. And what do I do? you know and that's why those the, the maintenance steps the ten, eleventh, 11th and 12 they encompass all of the ones before that 1 through 9 I like it's called maintenance they're, they're maintenance and take, when I heard when that first I was like oh yeah,
0: the first time I came to a meeting, I was like, I didn't want to identify. Did, did you think when you first came, like I'm gonna go through these twelve? It'll be twelve weeks and I'm done. Like it's like a for sure, for yeah. sure. First time so I came, some twelve week program, and wow, I gotta go whole all twelve weeks. Yeah, oh, I was like, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I mean, I first what can I do? Even, can
0: I do two a week and get done in six y- weeks? Yeah, you I, think the that? attic.
1: Yeah, everyone, and I've sponsored other people that say that exact thing. Okay, I'm just gonna come. We interviewed someone, right? He's like, I'm just gonna come and I'm gonna do these steps, and then uh, it was John, right? Yeah, he talked about he's just gonna do this and he was gonna be out. But unfortunately and fortunately, if you're lucky enough to listen to the spirit, if you have that spiritual awakening in one of these meetings or at home or maybe before or after a meeting, you realize, wait a minute, like drugs and alcohol or sex or pornography or food or gambling or all these things, those weren't my addiction. Like that, I mean, sorry, those weren't my problem. Those are my solution. I've said this before in a lot of meetings and a lot of my shares, those Drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, food, gambling, these things, these stimuli, these stimulants were my way of dealing and coping with stress, which – and, of course, wasn't dealing with it, right? It was my escape. It was escape. Those were my escapes. and But they become a real thing where you can't stop. But then once you stop and you uncover – and you actually start participating, you start to uncover the character weaknesses slash defects, which then you work through four and five, six and seven – to a to a point where you can identify them and four five uh, you kind of confess and get start to get rid of six you go okay I'm gonna turn this over to God seven you're like all right I'm gonna ask you now for the rest of my life to these never to come back and and to help me um, to help me overcome these and that's where it really the longer you get in sobriety the more I realize how much more steps I need you know
0: how and much you, and you shared that's how scary it, it's it, kinda... sc- it was
1: scary at first because I was like man I'm cruising I'm like good mm-hmm. I don't know cravings man everyone's talking about cravings in the meaning. I must be doing great. I'm a miracle. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute. Like every every few months, it would I, would I would uncover that, oh my gosh, I'm kind of prideful in this area of my life. Or I'm kind of weak in this area of my life. Or I'm kind of this in that area and this in that area. Because I had been sedated on drugs and throughout my disease of lying to myself, right, all the mm-hmm. time. That I didn't realize that I had all these other character defects or weaknesses that we hear about in the scriptures. That I thought, you know. I was living a full, my whole. I I came to one point, like around a year, that I was a lie. Like my whole life had been a lie. Let alone my membership in the church for the last four years at that time, or whatever, however many years I was a member. I'd oh, walked nice. around like on Sunday in my nice, you know, it's all about what I was going to wear on Sunday, yeah. right, so I could look good. And uh, and then, but really, like the attributes of a Christian, let alone the attributes of an LDS Christian who's committed to live a way higher standard, they were. It was. I may have achieved that at one point, but I sure as heck wasn't living it, you know, anymore.
0: Then that's, that. yeah, I could see that be a shatter. We've heard a lot, For of, everyone, the, a lot right? of people we've For interviewed said that. Non, uh, non, yeah. Non-addicts. non non If if you sat there and you talked about,
1: if I took out addiction and I just shared with the principals, if I taught a lesson in elders quorum or Sunday school, and uh, sorry about it, our little music came on, but hold on one second. These a little scenes on we're going overboard here. We're going here. over time here. So. It's worth it. Because I feel like if, if I took, a, what I was saying is I, if I taught a lesson at Sunday school this Sunday and just called it 12 Principles of Coming Under Christ or 12 Principles of the Atonement or 12 Things You Should Really Know in Order to Find Yourself, Lose Yourself, and Discover Who You're Really Meant to Be, that could be a bestseller, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be It would get everyone oh, to listen yeah. and inspire. See, these principles I found had nothing to do with drugs. Yeah, they did in a sense. They they had everything to do with the human, the
0: the what it's like to be a human, like the human experience, how to free yourself. And I, I shared in a in a stake meeting with a bunch of stake leaders that what what you know I was asked which you know which one of the twelve steps is like your favorite, which is yeah. the best, the most powerful one. And I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I can't answer that question. You can say one, but then I can't. Yeah, I thought i like you really can I guess if anything, it's the first one is your life's become manageable. Yeah. you've got to admit. But that's and then after that there's no, but yeah, there's no you project. couldn't just stop there, right? How and then times? and then I shared, the powerful of these steps is if someone could overcome heroin, cocaine addiction, a massive pornography like cheat, whatever Sex, yeah. it is that just they you know polluted their life, polluted literally. their life for maybe decades, and this can completely transform them, repair a marriage that seems irreparable through the through the twelve steps and through the atonement then any little thing yeah. is simple. Like, if, if, like not reading your when When you can overcome, church, yeah, you can overcome this opiate addiction, I can certainly uh, turn that leaf over and read my scriptures better, honor the Sabbath day better, uh, whatever whatever it whatever is. is saying for I'm, all three hours, yeah, wh- saying my family prayers, F-H-E, whatever it is. Fill in the blank, right? Yeah. And, and so that's how powerful, and really the 12 steps is, you use the word it's the it gave you the tools when you got off your mission. You're like I didn't have the tools. I oh. knew it, but I really didn't know how to. Live when I it. joined the
1: church, I I had a miracle of, of getting having a testimony for almost every principle except for enduring to the end. I did to do that, right? It's all new. Yeah. Okay. So I learned one, two, three, four. You know the the key principles of the gospel. Step five, right, or whatever, or lesson five when you're teaching the lessons. Now I think it's preach my gospel, but I didn't. The enduring to the end didn't even make sense to me when I I didn't even like teaching because like. Why wouldn't you endure the end? If you had the spiritual awakening, you know, you're just going to go off and be, you know, Alma the Younger the rest of your life,
0: right?
1: Uh, you know, but I, I bet you, if if we had a chronological like history of every single person, you know, from those from the church or whatever, you would find how many people struggled. And we oh. actually have that in the new beginning of or our, our the, you know, the restoration of the gospel. We yeah. see how many people fell and totally. how many people came back. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even just to be a door greeter, they totally. went from general authorities. I love, it. I love those stories now because I, now I realize how you can take things for granted. And I, if, I, if you are if out there and you're a new member of the church or, or if you're – everyone who joins the church should be handed the Book of Mormon, you know, the program, all that stuff, right, with their membership. And they need to be handed this book because I believe oh, yeah. that these steps will, will, will free you from – they will make sure you don't go back to your old behaviors, yeah. whether you're an addict or not. Yeah. When you're a convert, you have a system of life that is contrary to God. Yep. And so this uh, this allows you to 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 make sure you don't go back to those behaviors. You can go on just getting deeper with the gospel and, and with life.
0: Okay. So over the course of time, I get a lot of questions yeah. uh, as we go around, and I'm gonna fire them at you. Okay. Real get quick. Get your Let's opinion on it. Let's hit them. Um, I get, we get like, well, you know, there's there's no professional therapist there. You know, we're just talking in a bunch of amateurs. Uh, so you know, how does this work? Because I, you know, I need a professional. No one's I'm not a, freshman, you're not a professional. Yeah. You know what college did you go to? The, yeah, what degrees yeah. do you have? Why doesn't Why doesn't that needed in the rooms of of ARP in a 12 step meeting? Interesting, you say that it's like medical help is of
1: course like there's certain levels of this disease where someone needs a medical detox. They need to have a counselor to come off certain drugs. You know what I mean? There's don't get me wrong. Let's not go and say that that's not the case. So However, this doesn't 100
0: percent replace the need for that?
1: No, like I mean, you need to be smart. You need to see a doctor, especially if you've been drinking for certain. You know, there's all sorts of research you can look up on medical detox and the benefits of it right and because yeah. it could save your life first of so all you, you will die you, you could die if thinking. you have a certain level of like drug or alcohol use there's seizures that can happen there's a lot of things can go on however it's interesting is if met if medical if medical facility meaning like if if medicine and and psychiatry and not to say those things aren't good components supplemented with the program but if those could cure it then we wouldn't we wouldn't have a need for it you know what i mean therapy's been around forever mm-hmm. psychiatry's been around for a long time and and doctors have been they used to you know they used to lock alcoholics up in in psych wards yeah. i mean you get to a certain level of where you were you were just drunk if you could get the booze out of the system they were normal people <clears throat> but when they were drinking they become – Sorry, dying. They become crazy, and they just lock them up, and really the person just needed to figure out why they were drinking every day. Why were they going to the booze for? Se- the point is is that this program is free. Does't mean that you, or an addict doesn't need rehab in the beginning? If there's a certain level, I definitely am an advocate for that. Sometimes we need protection from ourselves for you know 60, 90 days or whatever it is, or, or longer, if you, you know, depending on your severity, medical detox definitely get to it. If you need a counselor, get to it, but make sure you're going to a counselor who understands addiction. And understands that twelve steps is is part of your, needs to be part of your recovery because I promise you I don't know of uh, the are the exception to the rule of those who I hear had a massive op- opiate addiction or alcohol addiction or whatever and they didn't use the twelve steps
0: or or even once they go through something else the twelve steps like we talked and about yeah use maintenance yeah exactly and, and remain in they're perfect in
1: their hands down perfect and there's very little things I can say that are like perfect without contradiction.
0: Okay, what about this question? Is uh, I don't want to go to where I may see someone I know, hmm. you know. Yeah. I and and that maybe the answer may be different, but we just got a list here, you know. In just our county, we have eighteen meetings every single week.
1: Just church meetings. Those Ch- are church church a- ARP meetings, mean. not church, including AA, not like, including AA or and NA. And we
0: talked about it last week with James. Like there's that. So there's eighteen meetings a week within the LDS Church in just our county. Every week, to we attend a meeting.
1: Basically, that's not an but, excuse. But um, the answer to that is there's no excuse not going. Well, I mean,
0: you actually drove quite a ways. Yeah. Um, would it have been intimidating I, I, to go in your backyard No, because
1: it was originally my backyard. See, I lived here, and okay. then I moved. And because I found such an affection at that meeting, when I moved, Still within like driving distance, within an hour, I was like, "Well, I'm still going down there."
0: Okay. Because it's called your home meeting. It's too. my home meeting.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's powerful, and I'm glad I did because it changed my life in many other ways. But,
0: but I, you know, I understand it because when I went with you, yeah, I was scared. And You're I not even ag. Yeah, yeah I, you said. Yeah, I remember hey, you kind of freaking out. Come you're like, with me. What do I do? And I'm and I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And then I got scared right before you went. Right before I went, and I don't can't remember if I drove. I think I drove separate. You drove separate, and you were texting me. I'm texting. you like, do what do I do? What do I say? What do I do? What if someone's yeah? Do I, I, I was, say I'm an ag? I was totally scared. So if you've never been to a meeting, I'm gonna walk you through what I recommend, then you jump in there. Yeah. Sure. So maybe you're gonna show up and you're not. You're curious. Your husband or wife may be an addict or someone you love, or maybe you are and you're not ready to admit it. You just show up. In the beginning, everyone's probably, there's going to be people joking and saying hi and familiar faces because they meet there every week. You're not going to fit in because you You, don't know. You're going to feel awkward, probably, like I (laughs) did And I sat next to someone I knew, Jay. I didn't know anybody else. In fact, I looked around. I'm like, that person kind of looks familiar. But, um, and then I'm like, oh crap, they're going to judge me. What are they thinking of me? And all these things ran through my mind. And then you go and one of the traditions is you introduce yourself by your first name only. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear people say, uh, my name Their is name. Bob. I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, other people say, I'm Jennifer. That's it. Yeah. And and I want to ask you later, but we'll go through the roll call here. That Just introduce yourself by your first name only. Don't say where you're from. Don't say you're just visiting. My name is Brad. That's or it. My name is whatever it is. And just look to the person next to you. Yep. That's all you got to do. And then after everyone's done, we're going to read through the steps. And then there's a thing to open up for sharing. And every culture in every room is different. Some of them, it's it's just whoever wants to volunteer. Do not volunteer. Unless
1: Um, you want to. Unless
0: you want to. Do not feel obligated to. If it goes around in rotation, you're 100% fine to just say pass. There's zero obligation. If you feel inspired to speak, do. I will caution you. If you feel inspired to speak, to say, I'm not an addict. I'm here just because of my friend or whatever. That's who cares. That's your pride getting involved. If you're if you're there because of someone else, just say you're that. Just introduce yourself by your name only. But if you have something to contribute to the group, uh, or you need to get something off your chest, please do. Anything else to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you, you you had a different experience your first time.
1: Yeah, my first time, I went solely just kind of like we said, I was just hoping. Uh, that I would get back to my wife who had left me at the time. You wanted
0: someone to tell her you showed up. Yeah, okay. totally.
1: I, the whole the whole way there, I was debating with three other addicts in the car who were all sober, and I was the only one using at the time. Okay, so like I'm the only one on <laughs> actual drugs that were illegal, and uh, I was saying to them, "I'm not an addict." So there's where my ego and my 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 lying to myself was, and my just just self deception. But um you go to the meeting and, and I go and i wasn't going to share you know but uh did you share your first i did meeting? i think i did you know i was pretty angry though so i shared i shared my situation why, why did you did it rotate around to you or think, did yeah because feel- they were rotating okay and so if it wasn't rotating i probably wouldn't have shared um but uh because it rotated around to me i was like you know and i'm gonna say something like yeah i'm not you know i, I said you know i'm jay i'm a son of god or something or like i'm an am ai am a i'm a, I'm a Whatever. I didn't say I was an addict because I, I didn't believe that at the time. I really didn't. It wasn't it wasn't even really ego. I literally didn't believe I was a drug addict. I thought I just had a drug, you know, I had a quantity problem. If I could lower my quantity of pills I was taking, then I would, I would be fine. I needed these things for, to live. I thought I did. Like, I thought I was going to die on them. Okay. Um, the point is, I heard closed mouths don't get fed in that meeting, and uh, it, it, it rang true to me. You heard that first meeting? I heard that phrase, and I was... Uh, right. That I needed to share if I was going to find any hope or solution in my life, and so I shared, and I was a negative share. It was angry, it was bitter, it was full of lies and deceit. But but I opened my mouth, yeah, and I kept opening my mouth until all of a sudden, every time I'd share, it got a little bit softer, and all of a sudden, it got a little more honest, and it got you know what I mean. And some people are different. Some people come in. I've had people, the guy I sponsored who you know runs a meeting here in our stake now. Or, I mean, in the other stake across from the freeway. He came in his first meeting ready to go, Share, you know, second or third meeting shared, and that was it. It was open. Yeah. He was ready to go. Everyone's different. Late, yeah.
0: point is everyone's different. And um, share, share and, when and, it comes and around the, to you. And to feel a little nervous going in it's is completely normal. And whatever gets you there. Yeah, don't worry about, don't worry like, about, like, about like it. Like you
1: just heard mine. What got me there was not why I stayed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I got there. Yeah.
0: So, so I, I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I think there's a – I've heard the debate of – you know, I don't like the fact that people say I'm an addict and then they're going to say they're an addict their whole life. Yeah. And, yeah, there's and, just I've, had, and I've had therapists to that say, that's just bad. I don't like that. Um, and I my question back to them being the program was like, are you an addict? No. And so, because I didn't understand that yeah. until I've had these conversations with you and with other people. Why do you in the meeting still identify as an addict I, say i'm an addict when i haven't used drugs in over four years yeah I, does it I, does it make you feel bad about yourself like what
1: yeah i thought it would so at the beginning same stipulation thought i'm not going to admit that well and then when i admitted it the first time i was like okay because i am right like i just mm-hmm. got off drugs i'm still shaking right but then it was like okay do i say i'm an addict in recovery and you'll hear that and yeah. that's fine um there was no time where i said it but it, it's you funny could, i remember you used to say that but now but but, say, I but i would say that and then and then i started to realize like what does that mean? Like, what what really does that mean? I mean, like, if I'm in recovery, I'm in recovery. And I've heard people say they're an alcoholic and an addict in the same thing. Yeah. The best thing I've ever heard on that one was, it's like saying you're a German shepherd dog, and, right? That was my friend uh, who we had on the podcast said that. I mean, that's like saying, you know, if, when you say you're a German shepherd, it's implied you're a dog, okay? When you say you're an addict, it's implied, okay? Now, I know there are meetings outside the church that are very hardcore. You go to an A meeting, it's hardcore. You say you're an alcoholic, you don't say you use drugs because they'll throw you out. Crazy okay. like that, which is it True. is it is what it is. It's so great. Tw- this is
0: the but tradition, for, in,
1: tradition in AA meetings and A is to say why you're there, and it's got to be specifically on that. But what I liked here, and to get back to the actual question, is that um, I I identify that I'm an addict now because that to me is doing the 12th step. Well, it's doing a lot of steps. Doing the 7th step and staying humble, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it's reminding me where I remind you remind me okay. where I came from and what what uh, what brought me to the room, and then B is if there is a newcomer who is like me who is there because his wife just left him and uh, he's sitting there thinking, you know, he doesn't have a drug, he's not a drug addict. He just has a quantity problem because his doctor wrote a script like I did. Um, If I say I'm an addict when I share my name and then I share my story during the meeting when it comes around to me or when I share, then guess what? That newcomer is going to do exactly what I did and he's going to relate to my story and go, well, he said he was an addict, but then he said he had four years or however many years he had. Then he also sounds like, he doesn't have cravings anymore. I'm not freaking listen to this guy because when you're new, you don't believe that people could be sober if they were like you. So you almost have a disbelief that there's people that are. You start. You, you think you call BS on everyone because you're thinking because it. It was literally. I mean, you didn't know me then, but I literally couldn't live without drugs. Like I would have done anything for for those pills in my system every day. So,
0: so two reasons. One is to remind yourself where you came from. Stay humble. And stay humble. And number two is so that others can help identify I- with you. To
1: identify. It's that identification that we do, um, the self-identification. No one can call you. and I mean, they can. But the way it was supposed to be is you identify. We need to identify with each other in here. Yeah. That's the power of this program and the group is the identification. So that's why I personally still do and, and, and it and I will forever. No.
0: And, and some people – probably within the meetings will identify as addict, but outside the meeting yeah they're you don't not have to, yeah yeah, like, yeah. And, and that's and fine the,
1: the, the therapists I've heard with you there was one therapist and I've heard it before um, several other times where they say you know well that's against the gospel once you're you've repented of the sin and it's gone and heck yeah of course but once again. I don't have to self-define that because I don't have an ego but about I'm, it anymore. I'm a sinner. I'm a, I can yeah. repent, but yeah. I can say I'm a sinner. Honestly, every time you go up there and say you believe in Jesus Christ, like yeah. we all already know. It's and, like, and
0: isn't that – I think that's a little uh, LDS culture-ish because in the Christian world, I'm a sinner. I am like, a sinner. Like, tattooed on them. I yeah, I'm a sinner, but in the LDS church, like, we've been baptized. Like, Whoa, why would well, you say that? We're fresh now. Look we're at saints. me.
1: I, I, I grew the part, and, I'm, wear, and uh, I'm, I'm wearing a white shirt now, like which yeah. is all great.
0: Right? But the reality is, we are all. Sinners. We are
1: all still battling the human nature in us all, mm-hmm. which is a natural man of God, enemy of God. So, yeah,
0: yeah. So I think that is, you know, we the power are, of this uh, program, right? Power, yeah. power
1: of identifying every meeting. So think, if I go to five meetings in a week, I'm self evaluating and identifying as an addict.
0: What are my odds of relapse? When, when we've traveled, I remember the, when we went to Mexico the first time together, Yeah, you were spotting all the A meetings, yeah. the buildings around. Yeah, yeah, because I saw the triangle. Saw the triangle, and I, you were just genuinely stoked. You're like, yeah. hey, Brad, look, Brad, look, oh, right yeah. there. I'm like, what, what? It's a tri- triangle. See it? We were in that. Yeah, that, that, that get really small yeah. little town. and, <laughs> and I've never seen the triangle in the hood. I do it now, too, and I'm like, that's rad, because I know inside that building,
2: there There's are men like-minded
0: just... men and women that are coming together, and seeking, or seeking and receiving recovery and helping others get that recovery.
1: Just giving back, man.
0: Yeah, it's both. It's giving back and coming and with a humble heart. Yeah. Um, and so maybe we should go to one on our surf trip. We should. It would be Spanish. We'd have to have Google Translate there. Yeah, that wouldn't work. It's um, like my mission in the Philippines. First, but it would just be fun to feel anyways. it. Yeah, mean, we'll you be. know, what's awesome is – I now you feel totally comfortable. You show up there, and you know you're going to have love. Yeah. We go all around the world, and you show up to an LDS church. You feel at home. Oh, yeah. I think the same thing if you went to an AA meeting. Totally. totally. Like, I went to an AARP meeting no matter where, not even a language. Because, the co- it's because it's,
1: there's a common thing that we're yeah. going there for, right? It's recovery. It's not about one yeah. person. It's not about who's running the meeting. It's not about the facilitator. It's not about the freaking – the guy who started the meeting or how many people are coming. Is, it's about what we're all it's there more trying to you. accomplish. Which is more you know, and,
0: and for those members of the church, because we've interviewed a few people that have been like, quote, Peter Priesthood on the outside. or Yeah, or uh, in their addiction
1: when they were like heavy using. Yep. And so what's time. the uh,
0: uh, Leanne, the Laurel? Yeah, yeah. Mary, the my maid. You know, their whole life Molly they've Moon. had Molly Mormon. Um, and they may not be able to relate to this, but you, Molly Mormon, Peter Priesthood relate to this. How about when you brought someone to church for the first time who didn't go to church? They felt uncomfortable. Yeah. And you were like, no, like it and feels comfortable. No one's gonna to judge you. That. And the show shows up in jeans or some golf shirt and they don't look the part like anyone else there. They don't they don't speak the Mormon speak and they feel uncomfortable. But you know that once they show up a couple times, people aren't gonna judge them. In fact, they're gonna be well received. You you bet on the other side of that. That's the exact same thing when you walk in the ARP. Show
1: up to a meeting, you'll just people will just run over to you. Yeah. And just say what's up, and they'll try to get to know you. If you want to be shy, then you can be shy. Yep. They'll back off. Yep. If if you want help, guess what, man? You're gonna meet. I tell people this. You, you want to get sober? You come to one of my meetings. You're gonna meet men and women who want to help you, and they don't even know who you are. Yeah. And they'll do any length. They'll go. It's like with Jan- they'll go to any lengths to help you get sober. If you're willing to do that, and and they literally will. Like, I mean, my Lexi can, my wife can say how many times this for over the last four years, countless nights stayed up on the phone and with people, or during the day when I'm trying to work, or or with a family dinner or whatever. The phone used to, you know, it goes up and down, but I mean, there was times where the phone literally didn't stop ringing every day. And but guess what? Those times I stayed sober. I stayed sober during my own difficulties in life. And uh, once again, beautifulness.
0: Well, Jay, I'm
1: grateful to be here, man. You want, to do awesome. another, you want to do another 12 episodes? Yeah, I want to do another 12 episodes. I hope you guys want to keep downloading them, and keep sharing it. Go to our social media page, the Next Step Podcast, but there's some
0: underscores in there. It's the, the underscore underscore Next underscore Step underscore
1: Podcast, okay? And like us, and follow us, and share us.
0: And a few people are yeah, posting you guys are awesome. out there, You're commenting, and, and and I and I'm wondering why not less because maybe some people are like, hey, check out this. You know a lot of well, people yeah, hold yeah. anonymity. Totally. Which but, is rad. But I think a lot of people are sharing on the DL, maybe like, hey, there's a cool church podcast. These couple of dorks totally. are uh, are having fun.
1: Brad self identified <laughs> as a dork. That's just that's what we're talking about. I never identified as i I'm, I'm not Brad, I'm a dork? Yeah. I'm the addict. <laughs> I'm but I'm cool. Wait, what? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, hey, it, oh, by the way, Brad had a birthday this week. I turned Woo-hoo! another year old he this week. He doesn't want to talk week. about that. He said he's am giving him a complex. Well, you said I'm like 106 years old. Well, someone said yeah, you're the youngest 36-year-old, and I said more yeah, like 106. why do we leave it there, there? Because you're not 36. That would mean I'm, I'm like 26. That would mean I'm, well, you're not 106. <laughs> Brad's the youngest old guy I know, and I'm so grateful. He's a shredder in oh. and out of the water. And
0: Lexi anyways. is a studio audience. Come over here, Lexi. She's been Come dying, so dying oh, to get on mic. Lexi just
1: been sitting not in the corner. Always. My wife has just been sitting here like a good sport, yeah. just waiting to get. You have anything to why, add, Lexi?
3: You know why they told me not to talk, you why? guys? Why? I have no idea. Because we're sharing be, a mic tonight. That's all. Probably because I'm the favorite, and they <laughs> they feel like if I get on here and talk, people are gonna be like, "Can we request that Lexi go to come they, back can, and if talk?" If you want
0: to request Lexi, throw it nah. down. Let throw, us know. Throw just it down. Kidding, otherwise, she's kidding. not. No, she's not. Lexi, I'm think,
3: actually not. Kidding.
0: Lexi, thank you because we're out late uh, doing these. And tonight, you're up late with us because we had some car uh, situation. And my mom, my, mom's babys- uh, you know my
1: mom, it, it, this is how there's no excuse. Out. There's people out there that are willing to help you and go through any lengths. My mom has babysitted our kids every Tuesday, you know, every night that I've gone to the meeting once a week for four years. That's that awesome. is true. There's Thank someone you, like Sherry. that out there willing to do it in your ward. If it's not a family member, there's someone there. God will make a way to get you to And meeting.
3: actually, some meetings have child care.
1: Some oh, yeah. yes. And they're starting
0: to do that more and more.
1: No excuses, baby. No excuses. What has been
0: besides the one you were on? Uh, Have you had any favorite episodes?
3: Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, which
0: ones? Have you listened
3: to the last one? The last one. The last
0: one with with with
3: Uh, James. Yeah, that's a
0: good one. That was a good one. That was
3: a really that was a really
0: good one.
1: Any other things you want to add? You've heard us talk the whole night.
3: I hear you talk a lot. Oh, oh my! Wow. Just
0: kidding. This is the first time she doesn't have a lot to say. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. What? Yeah. What do you? Th- I thought you had a lot to say. I always have you on a spot. lot to say. Anything you want to add? You guys add?
3: can ask me any kind of question. I just did. Everybody hey, did have you about seen, coming to the ha- meeting. Have
0: you seen? No. Um, what a benefit have you seen from Jay from sponsoring people? Because that takes a lot of time away from your family. Yes. And John, have you seen him grow from that role of being a sponsor?
3: I would say this. I would say being a sponsor is probably the number one thing that keeps Jay sober think it's a really important role because it helps it helps you re-identify yourself when you're sponsoring somebody else and I think it all goes back to service too like if you're in service of someone else like if Jay's stressed out and he goes and helps someone or talks to someone on the phone like his attitude when he comes away is like way different because he's just been in service and he forgets about his own problems and stresses and anxieties
0: And you've been blessed with this recovery, and you're challenged to share it. That's true. Yeah. It's that burden that you have, but you love it. No, it's good. I wouldn't be alive without it So if you've got some time of sobriety, and you've got the 12 steps done, and you're not sponsoring people. Don't put your light under a bushel. Yeah, shine that, man. You're needed desperately. It
1: kind of drives me nuts. We need you. We need you all over this world helping other people. I mean, how many countries? There's that many people in Mm – how many? I mean – this disease is no respecter of person. I don't care who you've been in your life. You've made it. You may have achieved a lot of success in and out of the church and in life, but if you found your life to be unmanageable right now, today, while you're listening to this podcast, and you don't know whether or not to get out there and open your mouth and ask for help because you're afraid of what may happen, I'm telling you right now, you can't afford not to start today. So I, I honestly, I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart. I am lucky and blessed to have to be compelled to be humble, even though I want to be humbled without that. My wife left me and said she hated me, and that changed my life. That, that's what started this whole thing. And so if you're in that same boat or if you're in a boat where you, you, you don't know where you need to be but you know where you need to be, just do what it takes and just open your mouth. I promise you there are people willing to help you.
0: Beautiful. We're going to end. True that. Yeah, word, <laughs> word. Preach. Word. Preach. Word. Hallelujah. We're going to go to your step one share, and All then right. that'll be the end of the podcast. So another 12 th- more, baby. 12, 12 more. more. Keep thank listening. Thank you, and
3: please request me if you guys want to hear. <laughs> okay, back away we right.
0: might edit that out. We're going to edit that one. All right. till right. next step. My is Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an addict.
1: Grateful to be here um, step honesty is uh, feel like one that uh, this year you know uh, I've learned you know I feel like the Heavenly Father wanted to reteach me and how important it is and I've had uh, these four years I'm just extremely grateful um, to be sober and to be alive and to be able to help others and just to be able to think of other people because uh, where I was four years ago um, I was very selfish and I could still be extremely selfish, but I was ext- to the point where like, I was incapable of not only being honest with myself, but um, I couldn't do anything for other people. I was, uh, I, you know, when, I, when you first read this step, <clears throat> in the beginning it said many of us began, barely we were older than children. Well, the first time I, I did a drug, I was, thir- you know, I was 13 or yeah, around 13 years old or 11, no, 11 years old when I smoked weed for the first time and drank at 12. Um, and so I, I had that experience, and you know, my mom, when I got so bad in such a short period of time, by 15 years old, um, had to take a loan out to send me to a rehab just to save my life at that time because it was just progressing so fast. And that was in the beginning just to, to for disobedience or to have fun and to experiment and to do all the things it says right there. And then uh, I was able to come home from that and not do drugs but still drank and still still was very unhealthy in my mind and just where I was. But then Heavenly Father decided to pluck me from the world and, and gave me the restored gospel and gave me a testimony in the church. And I was able to get baptized and, and uh, prepare myself for a year and a half to go on a mission um, for the church. And I, I went to serve in the Philippines and um, I was really excited. I was extremely nervous, but I mean, my testimony in the church was so strong that I was willing to do whatever it takes, you know, to get, to, to get there and to get worthy. And I did, and I'm grateful for that. But then... You know, the next part – so I'm grateful because I have all these things to testify to. It said – your circumstances – then it says it also could be justifiable need for a prescription drug or an action of – so a prescription drug. When I was on my mission, as many of you know, I uh, had to have sinus surgery um, and uh, – the doctor gave me a Vicodin uh, before my surgery because I was having these headaches very consistently. I had to leave the Philippines and went to Seattle. I was extremely allergic in that environment to a lot of the pollens and things there. They were causing these uh, cysts to form inside my sinuses and polyps and all these things. And I'll never forget when I took that first uh, Vicodin. I woke up with a massive headache in the morning, which is pretty common. And I took it and my my companion was in getting in the shower and I got up early to read the scriptures early by myself because I was a new convert and I wanted to learn, you know. And I was excited to just be stateside and not have to worry about a language to just, you know, so I wanted to just study the gospel. And I woke up and I I realized that when that pill first hit me, it took away all my physical pain, 100 percent from head to toe. And then it gave me a euphoric high. And then I quickly realized I quickly quickly realized when we went knocking that day, because in Seattle, no one wanted to talk to us. And especially in our area, it was that people just did not like us and uh, got a lot of doors slammed in our face and got a lot of mean things yelled at us in the street and stuff but and i also didn't like my companion at all and uh that pill not only helped me with my physical pain it helped me with my emotional pain it helped me like it says right here word for word it totally helped me deal with emotional stress and anxieties and fears and fear of rejection you know and fear of not being good enough and all these fears i had since child since i was born and uh and I thought, I, w- I was so naive at the time, like maybe some of us, uh, I'm not the only one, but I was so naive at that time that I thought it was a gift from Heavenly Father to help me to be able to work hard. You know, I was like, well, this is given to me, I didn't even occur to me, I had never abused a prescription drug at that point ever, and I'd never taken a prescription drug to get high ever. And so at that time, it was just, it was just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I had the best day of work, like, knocking. I had the best scripture study that morning, and it was like that for, for many weeks, and I got along with my companion, and it was awesome, you know, and I actually enjoyed being around him, and I felt the spirit strong, and, and uh, but quickly after my surgery, uh, then I had the sinus surgery, and then I, they broke my nose and, and did a lot of surgery, like, on my face, and the recovery was extremely painful, and uh, that, that, that prescription just got intense. They gave me OxyContin, and the minute I took the Oxy, it was totally different, and After the recovery um, of the actual surgery, I just was experiencing rebound headaches, and I didn't know what that was, right? I didn't know what it was like. You know, I didn't get the fact. I just knew that I was taking them all day. It really quickly went from one to two a day to, like, all day. Like, within maybe a month or two after my surgery, I was consuming maybe seven or eight Oxycontin a day, which was, you know, 80 to 90 milligrams, which is a lot for a missionary, you know? like, And I was getting fed, though. my, my, My doctor would write me the description. The point is... Cause I had to get honest there on my mission. I had to realize that I had a problem. This is where also I feel I'm blessed because I did that. We don't, I remember me and my companion at the time, we dumped them all we gave me a blessing. I detoxed, it was a horrible experience, um, but it wasn't enough. I didn't have this program. I didn't have these steps. And um, because quickly right after my mission, everything fell apart. Like I just, I lost my ability. It says your addiction uh, surrenders your later ability to choose. That's what I felt like when I got, came home early for my mission. I felt like it was so hard for me to keep these commandments, which I once, like, just a two, three years ago loved. And they brought me so much joy when I surrendered myself to God to live them, and I couldn't do it anymore. And I couldn't explain it to my bishop. I could, I just would go in there and repent and talk to him about my stuff, talk to some of my friends. But I couldn't explain how I was disconnected from my own will. But in here, like... A, I just wish I would have had this because I felt so – I felt like there was something wrong with me. And there was something wrong with me, but I felt like there was no solution. And, uh, you know, I'd go to institute. I went to church. I, w- I did all my callings, and yet I couldn't figure out how I couldn't stop doing certain things. And, uh, and quickly, shortly being home, a friend offered me Vicodin, and that was it. And I, I battled with the addiction of opiates for six, seven years and almost lost my life and my wife. And um, I'm just grateful – my friend brought me to one of these meetings and uh i'm grateful to be alive today and i'm grateful to to you guys and the experience that i get to have with each and every one of you i feel like everyone in this room i've had an experience with and uh and i'm grateful for that and uh i'm so grateful uh To just read this i felt today i I woke up and i was like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna you know yesterday was my day but today i woke up i'm like i'm gonna run four miles like there's no surf right now it's flat and i'm bored and i need some type of physical exercise i'm like i'm just gonna do this because i can because i'm sober and i did it and that's a big thing for me i'm not a runner like i've never run more than 10 minutes without collapsing and uh but i did it and i was like holy crap like there's no way i just ran four miles like i haven't done that since i was like 18. And I uh, hated it when I was 18, let alone now, and I'm turning 30 years old, you know. The point is, is I, I remember um, Eric, from our old meeting, was running these crazy marathons of, like, hundreds of miles. And I remember him saying, well, I remember asking him one time, like, why do you do that? That's insane. And he's like, because I can. He's said, like, because I, when I was in my addiction, I couldn't do anything. I, I, I wanted to do a lot of things, but I was, I was dysfunctional. And uh, I remember with Lexi moving to Hawaii to try and change our circumstances on our outside, to, maybe that would help my addiction, maybe that would help my depression, maybe that would help my anxiety. Um, this was several years ago, and when I was heavily in my addiction, and I, I moved out there, and I didn't get out of bed to surf once, I think I maybe went twice for about six months, because I was so depressed, and I was so, I was dysfunctional, and I had to get honest with myself, and it took me uh, having someone, like my wife, stand up and, and say, I'm done. And she meant it. And it wasn't like she was saying, I'm done for a little bit, and I hope you get better. And then maybe I'll come back. She said I was done. So I had to see that off if she wasn't maybe authentic with that. And if she really didn't leave me and say she hated me. um, I don't know that if my ego would have allowed me to get honest with myself, because I was pretty deep in my ego. And I was I thought it was everyone else's fault, but my own at that point. And uh, I had finally seen that there was consequences to my actions, and if I was going to go online to myself, then I was going to lose everything in my life that I loved. And luckily, I had a mom who let me, you know, come and, and live at her home and help me with my son when I got him every week, every other week, and uh, take care of him. But I could barely function, and I was extremely <coughs> depressed. And luckily, I was brought to this meeting and. I'm going to read one thing and then I'm going to pass the meeting over, but this is from the big book and it says chapter five, how it works. I reflected on this today when I was running and put on the Joe and Charlie tapes, the big, the big book study, study, and it just reminded me of so much truth. And it said, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to these, to this simple program. I love how it says simple. Because it's pretty cut and dry once you just accept it. Usually men and women who are continue, constantly incapable, uh, constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such, they are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to be born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their, cha- their chances are less than average. And, uh, and then it goes on to talk about other things. And, you know, I'm just grateful that that's not me. And uh, at one point I thought it was me, and I thought that I was never going to be able to stop. Because it, it wasn't just opiates. it was any type of pills. It was from anyone. I'd steal them from your house. I'd steal them right from your bag. And I'd help you find them, and I'd lie right to your face that I took them. And uh, I couldn't tell the truth. I couldn't. I was broken, and I felt broken. And when I called Mike, my sponsor, the first time, I had so much anxiety I could barely. Get, I had got my wife back, my family, and we're living with my aunt and uncle. I just got a job, and it was like the first week. And I had been sober for a few months, and I couldn't even get out of bed. I had so much anxiety, and I couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from. I just, I thought I was doing everything right. Like I, I'd, I'd been sober for three months. So I was like, man, I'm good. Like I should be happy. I got my family back, but I couldn't get out of bed. I had paralyzing anxiety. So I call my boss, who's also in the program, who runs the Thursday night meeting, and he goes, do you have a sponsor? Quickly, just stop talking about work. He's like, do you have a sponsor? I said, no. He's like, you need one. And he said, I want you to call this man Mike, and I'm going to give you his phone number. And that's it, and I want you to just do that today, and I want you to meet up with him and do step one. Go. And he just hung the phone up on me. And he said it just like that and so direct because he knew I was going to try to justify or try to rationalize just making it simple. And so I did. I called Mike. I remember, like, it was just sitting in my aunt's house in the backyard. Mike, do you remember me from the meeting? How how, how you doing? And I just, boom. And he quickly (coughs) met up with me. He told me what to do. We met up and we started our journey. And I'm grateful to be sober. I'm grateful for his wisdom. I'm grateful for his testimony. And I'm grateful for his sobriety. And, uh, I'm just grateful to have you guys in my life. And, uh, I feel like God has, uh, given me everything back and more. And, uh, I thought that uh, at one point in the beginning, my first year of sobriety, I thought that I was only meant for, you know, I was only meant to just be sober. And now I realize that I'm meant to be in, in the fold of God again and to do his work. And uh, I feel like uh, this, this last year has been the hardest year in my recovery, minus my first few months. And, uh, but I'm grateful I made it, and I'm grateful I got honest and, and corrected um, some of the uh, character defects that were plaguing me. Um, this year, you know, with my ego and some of the things I was dealing with. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful it's a program of action and uh, it can be used in your fourth or fifth or tenth year or first year or second month. It doesn't matter. It can save your life and it can change your life. And um, I hope that uh, we, we spread the word and get more people like me and you and in here to get help because uh, they're, they're going insane. I was going insane and I'm grateful to be here and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. And,